0: Sometimes the worship is just right, isn't it? Amen. Thank you, Dylan and crew. Man, I could do that all over again, but I want to preach, so we're not going to. But that was wonderful. Okay, um, if you have a Bible with you, please turn to the second chapter of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Only, I guess, six weeks ago we began uh, going through this book, so we're still on the front end of it. But um, So if you're new here, don't despair. We are just beginning, and I think the sermons are online. So you can catch up real fast if you want. But we're in the book of Hebrews, and today we're in chapter 2. Chapter 2. And... We're going to be going from verses 5 through 18, okay? Chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. Let me review a little bit for you because of Easter last week, we, we skipped a week, and so I kind of want to bring us up to speed here. Um, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to some Christians who are really tired. They're very tired. They're, 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 they're wavering, just to be honest. They're They're struggling. They're kind of wobbly. Um, it's, life is tough for them right now because they're under the threat of persecution. Fifteen years ago, their predecessors were severely persecuted. There was a, has been a period of about 15 years where things eased up a bit. Now the emperor Nero is on his throne. It's AD 65. And the threat of persecution for their faith is ramping up. It's not full-blown like it was 15 years previous, but it's starting to ramp up. And they're getting less and less popular all the time. And uh, they, are, uh, they are under the gun. And they're starting to get scared and worn out and worried and, and rejection is increasing. And I'll just say it, persecution is right around the corner. And... Uh, They're thinking about going back. They're thinking about saying, you know, this isn't all we, uh, it was advertised, you know, uh, for, uh, uh, you know, Jesus is great, but we didn't know there was gonna be some tough times like this. And so they're thinking about, some of them are thinking about going back to their previous life of Judaism. It was just easier. They had all their social contacts. They uh, weren't persecuted because Rome was okay with Judaism. They were not okay with Christianity. Um, and they thought, well, maybe if we have just a little bit less of a Jesus, kind of like a a really big, important angel Jesus, but not God Jesus, we can have Jesus and not get hammered too. But it wasn't working out that way. You either have all of Jesus or you don't have any of them, amen? I mean, you just gotta, there's no no percentages here. It's 100% or zero, and they discovered that was tough. And so the writer is trying to encourage them to stay strong, In their faith, or to have a faith to begin with, and the first three verses of chapter one, the writer talks about um, how great Jesus is. And I'm going to leave you to read that. I can't keep going over the same ground, but the the first three verses of chapter one are magnificent. One of the greatest statements about who Jesus is in all the Bible. And because the Jews that got saved or so professed to be saved venerated angels, they thought angels in the Jewish teachings, angels, were really important. Um, They started to think about making Jesus an angel rather than the Jesus that he really is. And so in verses uh, four through 14 of chapter one, uh, the writer says, no, no, he's not just a big angel, or he is God. And God the Father calls Jesus God. It's just, it's dramatic. So he's saying, make no mistake about it. And then the third thing he does before we get to today is he says, I want to give you a warning. It's the first of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. And this is the warning that the writer gives to these wavering, professing believers. The warning is, don't drift. Don't drift past a genuine conversion experience of salvation with Jesus. He's not saying, don't lose your salvation, because if you're a Christian, you're not going to lose your salvation. But what, and that's really not the point. The point is not whether you can lose salvation or not. The point is, have you ever had it to begin with? That's really the point. Not can you lose it, but did you ever have it? And he's saying don't drift past a genuine conversion experience with Jesus Christ, okay? Now he comes back in chapter, and that warning was in chapter two, verses one through four. Now he gets back to, Another statement about angels, he returns, because angels were really, really important in the Jewish teachings. And so he comes back to the subject of angels, again, who were venerated, highly respected among the Jewish believers, and how angels don't even come close to who Jesus is and what he's done. And he's doing this to encourage and challenge these discouraged, tired, weakening, professing Jewish and a smattering of Gentile Christians to be totally committed to Christ. Christ. So they don't return to their former way of religious uh, belief or pagan uh, living, such as the Gentiles would return to. He doesn't want them to go back. Just because it looks easier doesn't mean it's right. And so he's saying, hang in there. And I, I told you this in my introduction to the book of Hebrews, that as our world continues to spiral downward, and would you agree that it is? Anybody want to argue with me? I didn't think so. But um, our world is spiraling downward in, in many ways spiritually, uh, morally, ethically, and in so many ways. As our world continues to spiral downward, and I'm not saying there can't be a revival, that's happened in history many times. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like we're down five to nothing in the bottom of the ninth, and we're up to bat, and we're the Mariners, and. Uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's a tough sp- situation, right? Come on now, give me an amen, will ya? I, I know it's not Easter, but you can at least, you know, hang with me here. The world's continuing to down, uh, go uh, down a, uh, a spiral, downward, and that's why T- Church of 2021, these verses are invaluable to us. Because things haven't really changed. I mean, technologically, right? They've changed, but they haven't changed. And we need this. And so the title of the message this morning is How Jesus Outdid the Angels. How Jesus Outdid the Angels. And um, we're gonna look at four ways that that happened in these uh, 13 verses this morning. And uh, first of all, Jesus outdid the angels because Jesus reconnected us with our original destiny. Jesus has reconnected us with our original destiny. Look at verses uh, five through nine today. I'll just read mine and you can follow along, whether it's your Bible or behind me. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus, whether you know it or not, if you're a Christian, Jesus has reconnected you with your original destiny. Okay, I'll explain that. But most people, or Christians, rather think that they have a destination, heaven. So I would say to you, you're a Christian, and and I would say, "Uh, what's your destination? And you would say, praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven because I'm a Christian. But really, it's more than that, okay? It's more than that. You are reconnected with your original destiny. You have a, you don't just have a destination. If you're a believer, you have a destiny. A destiny, okay? And because you have a destiny, not just a destination, you have a great future. And I think that's really, for me, I am thrilled to say that this morning because Um, things look a little bit bleak here on this earth right now. But because you are a Christian, or if you are a Christian, and I hope that you are, you have a great future ahead of you. The best is yet to come. There's nothing that you can do or have here that can even compare with your destiny, okay? You have everything to look forward to. Okay, You can be optimistic even in a world like today. And in verse 5, it's really clear. While it's true that Jesus alone is sovereign over the inhabited world to come, and that's what that word means, and on into eternity, and thus it's infinitely superior to angels, what angels can provide for us, The following verses teach us about the ultimate destiny of the Christian and that it is Jesus has reconnected us with God's original intent for us. I want you to think about that. God had an original intent for Adam and Eve. It got interrupted by the fall. But through what Christ did, we got reconnected to that. And again, that's something angels could never do for us. Let's go further on in these verses. Speaking through the Psalm 8, the writer refers to the original destiny of and purpose for mankind. God intended man, not angels, to rule over the earth. I was expecting a little bit more response to that, but uh, isn't that awesome? God's original intention, our original destiny, was to rule over the earth. Okay? Okay? Adam and Eve. They started it, and we're going to be a part of that. And now we are because of Christ, but I'll I'll get into that here in a moment. And although man is described as a little lower than the angels, because we're physical and earthbound, and angels are spiritual and from heaven, and come to earth to serve man, everything, it says here, was put under man's feet, and nothing was not subject to him. We don't study the pre-fall Genesis enough. But God created two faultless, beautiful uh, people called Adam and Eve with no sin who were geniuses. A lot of people don't think about that. Oh, they just sat there in the garden eating fruit. No, they were geniuses. They subdivided all the animals and plants and life into categories. They, They were intellectually beyond what we can even imagine. That was God's intention for them, to to rule the earth. In fact, I'll read that to you out of Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule it, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over everything, every living creature that moves along the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And it will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and to all the creatures that move along the ground everything that has breath of li- the breath of life in it i give every green plant for food and it was so and god saw that all he made had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the 6th day i mean that's why he says well, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And David just kind of thinks out loud. And what he says is, Lord, why? Why, do you, why have you done this for us? Why do you think this about us? Why do you care so much for us? Why these great original Blessings. Why have you made us rulers and stewards of the whole earth? And that ultimately refers to the great future promises and privileges of glory, honor, purity, and innocence and rulership for Christians. When you read the minor prophets in the Old Testament and it talks about the millennial period, the thousand year reign of Christ, and then on into eternity, we're going back to a perfect heaven and a perfect earth, and guess who we're gonna rule and reign with? With Jesus. We're going back, you know? Right now, we can barely keep weeds out of our our lawn, right? Or garden, or whatever. We can barely get the dog to do what we say to do. But we're going back to a place during the millennial period and on into eternity to rule and reign with Christ as he intended for our first parents. Pretty exciting. Okay. But something bad happened. And I think you probably know what it is, but I'll, I'll mention anyway. It says there in verse 8, the end of verse 8, yet at the present we do not see everything subject to him. Man fell. He interrupted the program. through was on disobedience. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And that's exactly what happened. Man decided that his way was better than God's way and that, in effect, ruined everything. Okay. He plunged himself, the earth, the universe, into sin, selfishness, Satanic rule, the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world for a temporary period of time. It plunged humankind, the animal kingdom, and the environment into chaos and destruction. It brought the spiritual and physical makeup of human beings into destruction and weakness and death. I I was a, as a pastor and I've been, made a lot of hospital calls over the years and I walk through those halls and I see people in all manner of disrepair, whatever you want, word you want to use. I've been in children's many times when I've seen these little children with no hair, right, walking down the hallway with their, is there any nurses here? What's that thing they walk down the hallway with? Uh, IV. And I think this isn't normal. This isn't what God had planned. It's not. But sin brought it into existence. Uh, man's choice did it. But a day is coming when the dominion and destiny we lost, we're going to get it back again. And it's going to be a perfect earth and a perfect heaven. And guess who is going to rule and reign over that? You and me. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's so. So incredible. Um, That's our destiny. That's God's original intention. Ruined by sin, but now the recovery process has just started. If you look at verse nine. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. So he was crucified, buried, and he rose from the dead. Okay, and he now has given us resurrection life so we're raised from the dead spiritually and all that follows is our new resurrection body and the recreation of the earth and of heaven by Jesus for us to rule over. It's pretty exciting. And all that, although that original purpose was lost in the fall, we're getting it back and we're gonna rule and we're gonna reign forever and ever and ever as the Messiah says, right? Right? My wife loves to listen to the Messiah during Christmas time. And I, just, I, don't, I just, I think the words that stick out to me are forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. and I like hearing that because that's where I'm going to be with Jesus on a, on a recreated earth, starting with the millennial kingdom and then full recreation eventually and we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. Now, I've got a couple verses for you here in a minute that are going to blow your mind. But I'm going to make you wait about a minute and a half for them. Jesus Christ in his perfect humanity came as the second Adam. He was perfect. He went to the cross, took all our infractions of God's holy character and law upon his perfect body, paid the price for our sin, was buried in a tomb for three days. The third day he broke death's power and rose from the dead. And then, out of his incredible grace, picked you and me to be resurrected with him through the Holy Spirit. And all that we're waiting for is the final hurrah. And we're gonna uh, get our eternal destiny, not just a destination. Don't think of it just that way. Oh, going to heaven, gonna sit there, bunches of people. You're you're going to your destiny where your, your potential will be completely fulfilled as a person. Where the things that you wanna do will be so you and so fulfilling that words can't express it, okay? And that process has just started. Now, I wanna go to those couple verses. One's in Revelation 3.21 and one's in Revelation 5. So I'm gonna to go to chapter three and verse 21. And I, you know, if, if, I'm not making these up. Check your Bible, okay? because I mean, they're so out, out, Anyway, go to ch- chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, says Jesus, I will give the right to sit with me on my what, class? On my what? Throne. 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 Did you know you're going to sit on Christ's throne with him? Well, Debbie and I were talking about this. Spatially, I don't get that because there's going to be a lot of us, you know? It's going to have to be a big throne. I don't get all the time because we'll be outside of time. And I don't get how big the throne has to be. All I know is it says that. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Gee, I thought it was a great thing to get box seats to the Mariner game a few years ago. Yeah. We'll be on the throne uh, uh, with Jesus, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. And now go up to chapter five, same book. This is, this is almost as good. Well, I guess it is as good. Chapter five, verse um, nine. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And here it is. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. They will, they, I, you know, I'll put it in the personal. You will reign on the earth. See, me? Yeah, you and me. We will reign on the earth. In fact, Paul says we'll even judge angels. Again, those things are not things I can fully explain, but we will reign, if we are a Christian, we will reign on the earth. That's our destiny. Okay? The best is yet to come. What a bright future we have. You know, we shouldn't, I know what's tempting. It's tempting, you guys, to walk around on earth going, woe is me. Right? It is. And I, I do. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not always on the mountaintop. You know, sometimes, you know, I'm down in the valley because of what you see around you happening, right? You go to work in it, you go to school in it, you. You travel in it, and you see what, what's, what's happening, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to go, oh, woe is me, oh, you know, uh, because you have a bright future. And it's coming soon. Are you excited this morning? Well, I'll work on you. I'll work on you. Um, Jesus has started to remove the curse of sin and death and hell already, because we, we're, we're born again. And we have the resurrected life of Christ in us. So the, the switch has been pulled, and now we're moving towards our destiny once again. Okay? What a gift. What a gift. How blessed is our future. How awesome is our destiny. And um, it's very practical, too. I'll, when I conclude the message, uh, I'll, I'll share that with you, too. So, Jesus outdid the angels by reconnecting us with our destiny. But Jesus also outdid the angels, the wobbling, weary, wavering, weakening, uh, professing believers back in, in AD 65. And for those of us who are just getting a little tired, for us too. Okay, he, he, uh, he has reconnected us with our destiny, Jesus has, by raising, himself, raising us up with himself spiritually. That's the beginning point. And we'll get our resurrection bodies soon. But secondly, uh, Jesus outdid the angels by making us part of God's family. By making us part of God's family. And we kind of trivialize this. Oh, I'm one of the king's kids. Oh boy. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's more than that. I mean, it is, but it's so much more. Sometimes familiarity breeds contempt, as the old saying goes. We get so familiar with it, it's it's not, well, we're gonna get really, really excited about this here. Let's look at verses 10 through 13. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy, and that's you, by the way, made holy, are of the same family. Now these are staggering words. These are are staggering. Staggering words. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Now in verse 10, it says, it was fitting. Back to verse 10 here. It was fitting, in other words, um, consistent with God's character. It's, 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 it's consistent with God, with his love and his grace and his righteousness and holiness and mercy, with his character. It's consistent that he brought many sons to glory, verse 10. And if we were to take the time to do it, what we would find is that we're already glorified. Now I'm going to challenge you to go to some scriptures because I honestly don't have just, just the, the, the amount of time to do it, but in Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30, it says you have been glorified. You have been glorified. It's already done in the eyes of God. Okay? And what does it mean to be brought to glory? Um, well, you can't... Even though we've studied First Corinthians 15 and Revelation at the end of the book where it talks about heaven and so on, and other places too, we can't really say fully this side of heaven, but we do know that at the very least, in our glorified state, uh, we'll have glorious, uh, permanent, all-powerful, well, not all-powerful, but glorious, permanent, powerful resurre- new resurrection bodies. Just, it'll, they'll be like Jesus' body, we're told in 1 John 3 3. We'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. But well, there'll be no sickness or infirmities or death. Um, we'll be serving him and reigning with him forever and ever and ever. And I, I'm just so glad that I'm going there. How about you? I, sometimes I just sit there looking out the window and going. Wow, I'm going, I'm going. I'm going, thank you, God, thanks, thank you. I'm going, I'm going there. And in verse 10, it goes on, it says that he made the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus suffered and some people read that and they go, "Well, that just doesn't sound like God to me. You know, God is, you know, the mighty warrior, the powerful Messiah comes in, cleans house, sets up his kingdom for eternity. But here it says that he was made perfect through suffering, which simply means that by suffering, he he, uh, could identify with us on the deepest level of pain in this life. And I'm glad that Jesus did that. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I've been through pain in my life, so have you. We've all been through pain, haven't we? We've been through emotional pain. Some of you are thinking about that right now. The emotional pain you've been through. We've been through mental anguish, pain, stress, and things that, that have really kicked the legs out from under us. We've been through physical pain pain that you couldn't articulate. Do you know that, that Jesus went through all of those things but to a complete level? A complete level. Try it, it's an experiment. I challenge you to do this. Sometimes when I've been in pain, whether it's emotional or mental or physical pain, I think, okay, what period in Jesus' life did he experience more of this kind of pain than I am right now? And I think physical pain, you know? I've got some aches and pains, you know? Emotional pain, I've got some of those. Mental pain, d- don't we all have some of each, right? And think about it, sit in your chair and go, okay, let's, see, let's say, well, I don't even wanna be specific, but let's just say you, you pick out that area of pain. Maybe it's just this overwhelming disappointment. I'm just, that's just coming to me right now. I, I didn't plan on saying that, but maybe you're here today and you've just been disappointed by somebody or situation. Was Jesus ever disappointed? How about the people that traveled with him day and night for three solid years? Saw everything he ever did. Five, fed 5,000 people with a couple of pieces of bread and fish. Um... Saw him walk on water. Oh, I mean, the list is so long. And they booked when things got hot in the garden. How disappointing would that be? How much more than I've ever experienced disappointment or you have? I mean, and you could pick any area where you just got hurt or you're hurting, and Jesus experienced that to the absolute Fullness, the nth degree. Okay, so uh, it says that he suffered. And If you came in weary today, just know that. Just know that, he knows. He gets it. Okay, but then it says in verses 11 through 13, did I read those already? I did not? Oh, I better read them. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering Now we go on. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy, oh, I did read these. Some of you just lied to me. You wanted to hear them again, didn't you? Oh, I'll read it again. And those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And he says, here am I, the children of God. The children God has given me. (sighs) This you know, this is really one of those passages where you could speak on any sentence for a a whole message. But it says here that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to call you and I his brothers. Why? Because he has placed his eternal, perfect righteousness in us, the moment we ask Christ to be Lord and Savior of our lives, and upon us. And Jesus says to his father, Father, I'm I'm not ashamed to call them my brother. My brother. And you think about this, for any length of time, and it makes you happy. And you want something to make you happy, this will make you happy. Okay. John MacArthur in his commentary on the book of Hebrews says this, how humbling to have the Son of God call us brothers and not to be ashamed of it. How humbling to have the Son of God call us brothers and not to be ashamed of it. Wow. Conquering sin through his death, he broke sin's mastery over us and place his eternal righteousness on us and in us because his holiness is now our holiness. Now, just, just chew that. Uh, chew on that. His holiness is now our holiness. Now, I didn't say holy behavior all of the time because that wouldn't be true. But God sees us, are you ready? As holy as he is and his son is. And that corrects just about 99.999% of our psychological problems. I mean, when you know you're perfect, (laughs) and I'm not talking about an egotistical perfection, I'm talking about a joyous, God gave it to me perfection. And I'll mention this when we get up to chapter 10, but... When you know you're perfect in God's eyes, your sense of self doesn't get pulled into situations and so you don't have to worry about it. You tracking with me? That's why I say, goodness I wish I had two hours. That's why I say that the atoning work of Christ is the most psychologically healing thing ever. Because when I've been baptized into Christ, into his death, burial, and resurrection, when I gave my life to him, God made me perfect. And if the Holy Spirit translate that to my mind, I am as free as a bird. The problem comes when we don't realize that, right? Of course, Satan doesn't want us to know that. But anyway, in Colossians 2.10, I just thought this would be good. In him, that is in Jesus, we have been made complete. I just told, you can go out of the church and say, you know, the Pastor Mitch told me I'm perfect and complete and you are in, in Christ. And then one other statement I thought was really cool before we push on. Can you imagine God's being happy to be called the God of you? Can you imagine that? That God is happy being called the God of you? Now that doesn't mean he's always happy with what we do and say, think, uh, let's face it. But in, in his eyes, he's happy being the God of you because you are in Christ and God loves Christ and God loves you because he sees you in Christ all the time, 24-7. I don't know how many minutes and seconds are in one, cal- uh, one day, but every single second of it, God sees you in Christ and it will never change. Okay? And he's not ashamed, I think this is just so crazy, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. Brothers. Brothers, part of the same family. It's just, I keep having to read it over and over again because it's so great. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy, that's you and I, are of the same family. Man, that's really, talk about, Don't go to a bookstore and try to find books on how to have a positive self-image. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Just open to Hebrews 2 and read this and go, whoa, God sees me totally enveloped in and one with his son, Jesus Christ. That will take care of self-image problems. It really will. It's interesting, though, that it took the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to accomplish that. Ought we not to be thankful? Would you think about that when we take the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, please? It's interesting, too, that, that when, you t- when you and I think about what Jesus called people before the cross, burial, and resurrection, and what he calls them after, it's really kind of cool. Jesus never called people his brothers before the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, never. He called them sheep oh, you unbelieving generation. Uh, What else did he call them before the um, cross, burial, and resurrection? Uh, People, you know, disciples, just lots of different. But afterwards, Mary comes to the tomb after Jesus is raised, and what does Jesus tell Mary? Go tell my brothers Now we're his brothers. Now we're his brothers. And we're his children, it tells us also here. Okay? Awesome stuff. No angel could do that. Why would you go back to some other kind of lifestyle when you get all of this, when you get a destiny for eternity? You're going to reign and rule with Christ. When you're part of God's family, don't go back to that stuff. And then thirdly, I told you there was four. Thirdly, Jesus outdid the angels by f- freeing us from the fear of death, completely. Look at verse 14 and 15. "Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, fear, the fear of death is high on the list of uh, surveys or, or what do they call them, uh, polls uh, for people. Fear of death is right up there. I looked at two. One was number 12, the 12th highest fear, and the other one was number two. The second, the second rated highest fear in among humankind is the fear of death. You want to know what number one is? Huh? Public speaking is up there. Huh? Okay. You know the number one? I'll I'll share it to you. The number one fear is having to sit through a long sermon on Sunday morning. (laughs) That is the highest rated fear I actually don't know what number one is. It might be heights. It might be small spaces, spiders. I don't know, but but fear of death because it's the unknown. It's the other side. It's the mystery of death. And Jesus solved that problem in a way that no angel could do that. No angel could could solve the fear of death. Jesus shared in our humanity. He, He took heart and our humanity. He took hold of our humanness, flesh. Not sin, but humanness. And then he died, he was buried, he rose, and then he added to us his divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And he rose us with him and now... As we talked about last week on Easter, we're connected with him forever. And that takes away the fear of death. We're in union with Christ. And in doing this by his death and resurrection, and then giving us his resurrection life, Jesus destroyed him who holds the power of death, which or who is the devil. And you might be saying, well, isn't that God's domain? Isn't God the God of life and death? Well, Satan's power is not over the, the power over life and death, which only God has, but, oh, but the fear of death. Satan uses the fear of death as a weapon. and he, and he causes it to loom over mankind. Job 12:23 says that death is the king of terrors, the king of terrors. And knowing that God requires death, physical and spiritual, as a consequence for sin, Satan torments mankind with the fear and the reality of death, okay? But Jesus destroyed death through his own substitutionary death, his atoning death for us on the cross and his resurrection and his offer of resurrection life to us through faith in him. I uh, the fear of death is what drove me to faith in Christ. I'll just be up front with you. The fear of death. I didn't know where I was going, and it haunted me. It really did. The fear of physical death, but more the the fear of not knowing. That that haunted me. And fortunately, there was a Christian family down the block who had a son my age, and we were best friends and. Slowly over a period of 11 years, they shared Christ with me and I finally said, you know, this is, I'm not going to pass this up. I need to know. I need to know I'm not going to go to hell. I need to know that I'm going to heaven. I, I don't want to be afraid of death. And by the grace of God, I was saved and, and I'm not afraid of death. Jesus said, and then we'll get right here to the last point here, I realize, that uh, we could say so much more about these things, but John 11, 25, and 26 says, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, that's a good one. That's a good one. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. John 14, 9, Jesus says, because I live, you'll live. Paul said, oh, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? And in Philippians one twenty one, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So because of Christ, we can confidently look death in the face without any fear. But we're gonna step right over the, the line of this life and into the arms of Jesus Christ. And I just wanna say this before we go to our last point point. we'll take the Lord's Supper, and it's this. What a great witness this gives us to our watching world. Because people... They freak, don't they? It's a freaky world. And, you know, the COVID thing has just kind of magnified that really a lot. I mean, this is an opportunity to, I think, and has been, to witness without even saying a word. But words are fine, too, you know. But... Do you notice how devious people have been to get the vaccine at times? Sneaking their relatives in here, doing the elitist trip on people, unethical ways of keeping safe. Why? Because they're terrified of death. Now that's not, I mean, you want to take a vaccine? Let's take a vaccine. If you don't, don't. We're not going to argue that point in this church. Amen? Amen? We will not stigmatize each other. That is sin. Am I right? All right, thank you. Thank you for that. No, seriously, thank you. That's why I love this church. But um, people panic. They're terrified of death. And we don't have to be. Thank God that we don't have to be. What a joy. What a joy. And what a witness to a watching world. Okay, finally. Um, Jesus outdid the angels by reconnecting us with our destiny, making us part of God's family, freeing us from the fear of death completely, and finally, by relating to us with authentic sympathy. Let's look at these last few verses. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And I've covered this already in the message, so I'm not, not gonna go into great length here, but Jesus, as our merciful and faithful high priest, um, was tempted, tested, tried in every single way that we will ever be. But only, but understand this, everybody, not subject to the limitations that we have been tested, tried, and tempted. We have not been tempted, tried, or tested in any way, shape, or form to the degree that our Lord has. He felt it all, He's been through it all, He knows it all. And He made perfect atonement for us, and now when we go to Him, He knows. He can, He's the one person in all of the universe that can say, "I know how you feel. I know how you feel, Mitch. I know how you feel." You know, we don't have here some you know cold, distant, indifferent God, but. One who knows how, when, where, and why we're hurting and tempted and tested, and he's there to help. He's there to help. And they needed this because they were getting hammered then, and we're getting hammered now, and we will be hammered more, most likely, although I don't know the future. Well, I want to close here before we take our, our supper with a couple applications, and these are near and dear to my heart. I thought a lot about these this week. First of all, I don't know how you deal with sin. Don't know? But I know how I've dealt with sin my whole life, or, or for a, a, a fair share of it. Because you know, if you're a Christian, you want to please God because the Holy Spirit's living in you. You don't want to grieve him. But there's but a tendency to kind of grit our teeth and clench our fists and shut our eyes and say, I'm not gonna sin today. How's that working for you, by the way? It's never worked for me. Or, or, or fear. Oh, no, he's going he's to nail me if I do this. Or guilt or whatever. And I want to tell you, I, I think I found a new way or I'm discovering a new way to deal with sin. And you know what it is? Gratitude. When I sit and think of all that I have because Jesus gave it to me, when I think I have a destiny ahead of me, when I think that I'm a part of God's family, when I think that I don't have to fear death, when I have a sympathetic savior, I'm so grateful I don't want to do anything to hurt him. How about you? I, I, I just don't want to hurt the guy who treated me so good. Not that God's a guy, you know what I mean. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to, I don't want to slap him in the face. I, I don't want to step on the blood of Jesus. And I find in that uh, more of a power than just self-discipline. You know what I mean? So just walk with him out because you're grateful. Amen? I mean, I don't know if I'm off track here, but I'm not, okay? Uh, the second thing here is, number two, nothing's better than Jesus. Those guys back then were thinking about bagging it. What's better than what I've just talked about through the scriptures? Really, what's better? I'm sold, well, by the grace of God and I will remain sold out for Christ. Why? Because there's nothing better. There's just nothing better. I look around this world and I see what people are investing their lives in. And a lot of it is legitimate, properly contextualized, but I just don't think there's anything better than Jesus. And then third, I just want to encourage you with this last one here before we take our our supper. The best is yet to come, and it's coming soon. Your destiny is coming soon, and you're gonna reign. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, go to Revelation 3.21 and chapter five, verse nine and 10, and so many other places. You're gonna reign, and it doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. It doesn't matter if people reject you, whether it's your family or friends or workmates or schoolmates or teammates or doesn't neighbors. It doesn't matter. You have the best to come, and it's gonna be awesome, and it's gonna be soon. Do you have a great future ahead of you? I hope so. It's it's really very simple. Surrendering your life to the lordship and leadership and rulership and control of Jesus Christ. Receiving him as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And committing your life to him until he returns so you go to be with him first. That's how you have a great future. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be Christians it's hard to believe what we have. It's so much better than what an angel or a fancy preacher or, or something in the world has to offer us. It's just better. And we thank you so much, Father, for providing this for us. We love you for that. And we really want to honor you because we're so grateful. Help us to shine to a world that's just freaked about death. We don't have to be because of your grace. Thank you for being sympathetic And having felt everything we've felt, we love you for that. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, here's what this message wants me to do. This message wants me to take the Lord's Supper. I want to express my gratitude in a tangible way as we close today. I really, really do. Don't you? I mean, this this is a way we can do this, okay? to take the Lord's Supper, to say thank you for dying for me on the cross and rising again and giving me the freedom of fear from death. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you've done this for me. And I'm going to go out of here just stoked because of your love for me on the cross.